0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is
1: believe. Yeah. I don't. I don't You bitting on me. It's time to get it checked, boy. You on the sideline, You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitting on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talk about. Take your best shot. I'ma take the last shot. I'm Jordan, in the clutch boy. You bitting on me? It's time to get a check, boy. You want the sideline, You ain't made the headlines. Now it's time to reject, boy. You bitting on me? What's the topic of discussion? What we talk about. Take best shot, I'ma take the last shot I'm joining the clutch, boy Look. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty guys, it is time for another episode of
0: the Auto Bid I am Ann Robinson, joined as always by my twin brother Andrew Robinson Today we've got two special guests We've got our guy Kevin Sweeney from Sports Illustrated And of course, Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media We we're, 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 we're never has Sleepers Media With Carter Elliot not being present today But it's all good, You know, we'll save that for a little later in the episode But uh, Kevin and Greg, thanks for joining us today guys
2: Thanks for having me as always, guys. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Always a pleasure, fellas. You guys are looking good today,
3: I
0: must say. <laughs> appreciate it, man. Appreciate it, man. Oh. You know, I, I thought with Media was only one person. I, I know it was two people off Sleepers <laughs> Media. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's news to me.
3: Hey, I'm just a role player. We all know this, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. I feel pretty big time, especially being brought on, like, in tandem with Kevin Sweeney, the Kevin Sweeney. He dropped that at si.com in the little group text, and I'm like, oh, yeah,
0: this is big time. (laughs) (laughs) they Definitely got a a nice episode planned for you guys today, man, so we're super excited. But, before we get into that, want to make sure we uh, remind you guys to make sure you give this podcast a like. Give us a give us a subscribe on uh, Apple or, or uh, Spotify wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you see us on social media, give us a like or a retweet, man. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the auto-bid. And also, make sure you're streaming my guy, Pull Up Tay's Music. That was him on the intro. With his new project, Life Ain't Fair, is out now. So make sure you guys stay tuned with all his uh, music that is on the way. But... Like Greg mentioned, man, our guy Kevin Sweeney dropped his one to 358 ranking uh, of, of the D- Division One basketball team yesterday. I'm sure he's, he's uh, received a lot of praise, but also a, um, a bunch of shit for it as well. So, Kev, uh, first of all, you know, w- w- what was that like putting put that together for you, man? What's it been like since that since that, since that big project has, has dropped?
2: Well, thankfully, I can kind of retire this gigantic uh, Google sheet that I've been working out of really for the last eight weeks on and off. Um, it's a project I started I think the first week of September, uh, and essentially what I did was I rang I took every conference and I built my conference standings projections like I would be if I was doing conference preview, and then for every team, I put in kind of in my in, in the spreadsheet an eyeballed figure of where I thought they'd be in. Ken Palm or in my ranking based on where they were in Ken Palm last year and where T rank is priest and Ken Palm wasn't out at the time, uh, had them for, for this year. So I put them in groups of 50, right? So it was like, uh, you know, Texas is obviously in the one to 50 tier. Um, you know, Iona was 50 to hundred, uh, you know, Chicago state was 300 to 360. And so essentially I went through all those standings. I had all of those bucketed as I hoped they would line up and then, sorted them in as by the buckets and said okay how many do i have so i had like 55 teams that i thought were top 50 i was like okay that's not too too bad i got to switch that up a little bit i've got you know 44 that are you know 50 to 100 i've got 57 that are 100 to 150 i've got 43 to, right like so i had to kind of clean all that data get it down to 50 in each bucket and then ranked inside the buckets and all of a sudden i had a 1 to 358 which was a little ridiculous, and of course, lots of tweaks as, as time went on. I know Javante Perkins' injury at St. Louis was like a pretty significant, like 20-plus spot jump or change, you know, down in the, the rankings for them. Um, I'm never gonna feel comfortable with where it was, but eventually, I just kind of stopped listening to like secret scrimmage noise because otherwise, I would have driven myself insane. Like, do I feel like I'm probably too high on Miami after hearing what happened in their FIU secret scrimmage? Yeah, I, I am, but. I was not about to rip up my ranking yet again. It was just kind of where we were. So the feedback's been really good, really positive from coaches, fans, media members, et cetera. Appreciate it all. And uh you know, certainly some hate, but I uh, wouldn't really want it any other way. So it's been it's been a fun project and uh, glad glad it's over, but happy I took it on, without a doubt. <laughs>
0: Now, I yeah. think some people kinda of forget how, how tough it is to create like one of these lists. I know like for me looking at it, it's like yo, like how does one even go about wrecking all these division one teams? I know you said you broke it into tiers, but like when thinking about like the mid major leagues specifically, I mean like how much did it go from the R right, we got we got Quinnipiac it might be two hundred to two fifty and we got like freaking I don't even know, Towson might be like, what goes into the kind of the, when you look at the smaller league time, deciphering where a certain team go, what team, get, and is it kind of just like, all oh, right, I think this this roster is a tad bit better than this, or you look at the of the conferences. I mean, what what, what kind of goes in goes into that to that
2: process? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I tried to do is to build it at least somewhat off of where Ken Palm traditionally had teams. I think that was one of the things that I don't want to call out Matt Norlander because I think he did a good job with his one to 358. But one of the things I noticed with his that I was able to kind of build into mine to make sure I did it a little better in my mind, at least, was, you know, there were some teams where it just seemed like he power rated the conference a little off. And so because of that, the team rankings, while the standings projection was good, like the, the ranking itself came off, you know, way too high or way too low. And I was able to essentially work it out to where I felt like, I had the conference strengths about where I thought they should be. Uh, one of the ways I kind of double checked that at the end was that I, um, I I went through and I averaged every conference's like team average ranking, so then I could rank the conferences and the conference rankings came out and those are on SI as well. Um, th- those rankings came out pretty much what I hoped they would be and pretty similar to where Ken Palm was last year. So those kind of things made me feel pretty good. Now that said, right when I'm staring at it, I'm like it's. 277 versus 278 who's getting it is it william and mary or towson like i'm not gonna lie fellas like i didn't spend 30 minutes debating that today i i i, I made a call i said you know what i like dane fisher boom william and mary right like that's because if i spent that much time i would have driven myself insane so
0: now first of all you know you have our quinnipiac boys too low you know <laughs> i'm, I'm sure they'll prove you wrong with that you know Conference State's way too low. You know, of course, they're going to be way higher by the end of the season, you know, but um, I wanted to ask you, man, because maybe I'm alone on this boat, but, you know, Ace doesn't seem to agree with me, but you have Syracuse at 49 in your ranking. And, you know, for me, I think Syracuse is, is actually, should be, in my opinion, closer to the top 25, man, when you're bringing it, when you you have Buddy Behan coming back off of the tournament run that he had. You know, obviously, they're bringing, like, a ton of shooting with Joe Gerard. They're bringing Cole Swider from, from, from Villanova um why did you have them so low in your rankings and like you know I I, I want to get your opinion too on um, on Greg as far as like you know what's your thoughts on Syracuse but Sweeney man why well, I mean what's up man can you can you show the orange from love I mean 49 Jesus
2: yeah I mean for first and foremost like we have a pretty good track record at this point that Syracuse tends to wind up at the bubble so I'm usually I'm usually looking for something that would prove me otherwise on that that front I think Look, the shooting is huge, right? They they are going to be one of the best shooting teams in the country between Beheim, Gerard, Swider. You know, the, that trio is gonna be crazy drilling shots. But like defensively, Cole Swider was a wreck defensively for Villanova, right? Joe Gerard Joe Gerard competes on D, but he's not, you know, he, he's not as good as Karay Richmond was on defense. He's certainly not, you know, a high impact defender. Right? Like they're when you when you're in the zone, you want like long athletic dudes. Joe Girard ain't long and athletic. Cole Swider's long, but he he he's not athletic. Uh, you know, Jesse Edwards I think will help him at the five, but Sidibe's hurt up front. So like to me, you know, this is a team that's carried by a stud in Behan that'll keep him relevant and keep him in the mix. But you know, I, I'm curious what Greg thinks, but to me it's just it, it doesn't it doesn't scream top thirty, top thirty five juice like the the orange fans on Twitter seem to want me to have.
3: Yeah, Syracuse isn't a team that I I noted. When going through your ranking, Sweeney, of like either this team is too high or too low, I just think this team is Buddy Beheim and like a pretty boring group beyond that. It might sound brutal or harsh, but like like Sweeney said, Syracuse hasn 't exactly overachieved the last few years as is, and the cupboard seems more bare around him than it has been the last three seasons. If they do make it to March, like, I always love betting on Syracuse come NCAA tournament because they throw that 2-3 zone out there. Nobody knows what to expect. It mucks up a game, and, like, they just always seem to find themselves in dogfights. But as far as regular season goes, I think just cracking the top 50 feels appropriate to me for Syracuse.
0: You know, I might be with the orange man. I just don't see how they're going to get any stops. Like, they're, they're going to shoot the lights out. They might, they might score an 89, they're going to give up. 87, 88, <laughs> Eric Gay. I, I, so, I don't know. I don't see it. <laughs> you you know, know from basketball, game. man, the zone can hide a lot of bad defenders. So, <laughs> I feel like Cole Swider may be a bad defender, but that zone is going to be able to hide a lot of the defensive offense.
2: That'll, that'll be a good test for how how bad how good the zone is at hiding, guys, because Cole Swider yeah. is hiding. Mm. You know, so, hey,
0: man. I guess we'll see. You know, we'll have to see, what, you know, what they're able to do. But my money's on Syracuse cracking the top 25 at some point in this season. Woo, some point. I like it. I like it. We'll see, man. Greg, I mean, you you said that Syracuse wasn't the team that jumped off of your um, the page that you were at when you looked look at the rank initially. What what team did um, jump off the page? That you said, all right, this team m- might be a little too low, or this team might be a little too high. I mean, we all know you're Michigan State guys, so we don't want to hear any any, any hometown <laughs> bias. But uh, I mean, what, what are your what are your thoughts uh, on teams that might might have been a little bit uh you know misseated?
3: No, I actually, I I had one note on Michigan State's ranking. It's that I actually want to give Kevin Sweeney a ton of credit for ranking Loyola Chicago ahead of Michigan State. One of my bold predictions this season is that Loyola is going to knock off MSU in that battle for Atlantis. I think Michigan State's going to be really solid, especially by the end of the season, but I think they're going to have to work through some of these adjustments, these new guys that are in there. And Loyola, to me, a team that Obviously, you have to replace Cameron Crutwig, but everybody else is back. There's some real continuity there. They did make some nice additions via the transfer portal as well. You know I'm a Drew Valentine huge fan, so I think he's going to come out very hungry to sort of prove himself at the college level as a head coach, Uh, and that's a game I have starred 100%. So kudos, Sweeney. I haven't seen any any other person ranked. Loyola that high out there so so credit to you hey
2: I I I didn't do it deliberately but I can't imagine Drew didn't love the fact that they were exactly one spot ahead of Michigan State I mean that is that is fantastic I, I love Loyola I mean I was I was out there practice like Drew said to me like I think we're gonna be a top 35 team and I said like my eyes agree with that and so when it came time to rank them 32 felt appropriate so I mean that game's gonna be awesome I'm so excited about it the matchup's really fun you know, the teams are so well, yeah, you know, so well coached defensively. They're going to be stout. I think it's going to be great.
3: Yeah, and I think both coaching staffs know from experience, from seeing up close and personal, they are both ones to maybe hold a little bit of a grudge. So I think they're both going <laughs> to come in very willing to want to win that game. I do. I have four teams though that I marked down. Just either feel a little high or low to me. Two of them are Big Ten, so I'll save those for the second half of this. But uh, Texas at number two, Sweeney. I know a lot of people like them as the Big Twelve champs i've been pretty adamant that I think it's a hotly contested race, like I could see Kansas winning, I could see Baylor winning, but i don 't know that I've seen Texas that high um, so I, I I'm not saying I don't like that ranking, but I do want to hear your perspective on like are are you in love with this Longhorns team or do you just think they have the talent that stands out
2: yeah i mean I, i'm I'm actually working on like as we speak a like mailbag to answer some questions people had from Twitter about it and Texas was one of the questions. Like, well, what was the thinking there with them number two? Because I wrote in my my thing, you know, will it all fit together? And I was like, if, that was a, if that's that's a pretty big question mark to have as number two team in the country. And I think where I've this where I've come down is I don't think week one of the regular season, Texas is the second best team in the country. I don't think at the end of November, Texas is the second best team in the country. I think this is going to take time. You know, I, I talked to Yurik Malagi for RL Access Show with Brian Burton. He was saying like, yeah, like we have one guy who knows Chris Beard and that's Avery Benson. And like, he's not going to play that much, like full stop. He's just not going to. So it's going to take a bit to get everyone on the same page with how Beard wants to play on both ends of the floor. It's going to take a little bit of time, I think for everyone to buy into their roles, right? You have you know a guy like Timmy Allen, who was one of the highest usage players in the country, at Utah. Now he's going into a, I mean, you know, might not even start at Texas. Like that's a possibility. Um, so I think, it's going to take them time. But at the end of the day, like when it's February, it's March. Whoa, this team is so talented, like so unbelievably talented. They have opportunities to play smaller or bigger. They can, if they want to play through the post, they can put Trey in. If they want to be able to switch one to five, they can put Christian Bishop in at the five. D'Souza is a fringe NBA player. Courtney Ramey's a really good defender. Devin Askew has earned tons of praise for his defensive work in the preseason. Like to me, this team is 9-10 deep with starting caliber guys. And, it's going to be hard to hard not to love them come February and March. So I'm buying the stock early and you know hoping it hoping it pays off well for me.
3: Marcus Carr resurgence. I just want to add that too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in on the, the car, car year. I'm in the Carr. They're car sleeping on Marcus Carr a little bit. They're saying there's no guards in the country that we've seen before. I really like Marcus Carr in this Texas system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the thing with me, I think I think yeah, they have a bunch of new pieces. But I think one thing that just speaking to coaches in general, like. When you have guys that have played a lot of college basketball, like that boils in a long way. So, yeah, they haven't played for Chris Beer before. Yeah, they haven't played in the Texas uniform before. But that experience, you got a bunch of guys that have lost a lot of minutes playing high-level college basketball. So, I think – and honestly, this is mainly me just loving Chris Beard and he's going to figure it out. But I think when you have guys – I think the, the the hardest part is going to be um, when a guy is playing 18 minutes, we thought he was going to be playing 28 how do you react to that? But if if, if those guys can can that stuff all I think I think they'll be fine. Just because of the fact that they they have a bunch of guys that have been through you know stuff in in college, um, and so you know I, I don't know I'm I'm definitely high on Texas that I, I think most people will be. I mean I'm not gonna say um, they're gonna win that national championship, but I think they'll
2: they'll definitely be be there uh, come come March. Well, I think I think just kind of like close the book on Texas. I think one of the things that's so interesting is. The narrative is okay. They brought in a bunch of guys who never won, and that's mostly true, with the exception of Christian Bishop. All these guys came from bad teams, bad high majors, and in, in Trey Mitchell's case, a bad fringe A-10. A- I don't know what we're defining it as. I know Kim, Kim English yelled at me when I called it a mid-major, but it, sorry, Kim, it's a mid-major, my man. Um, you know,
0: like,
2: <laughs> I think like like none of these guys have won, and so there's two ways it can go, right? There's the you know the lane you just said where okay, I'm not playing as many minutes. Now I'm pissed off and now I quit mid year or there's, I played a lot of college basketball. I understand what it takes. And now I'm finally getting the opportunity to win with the talent around me. And I'm so bought into that, right? I'm so bought into, okay, even if I'm playing 18 minutes game and scoring eight points a game, when I would be starting at averaging 14 at a, at another team in, in, in the country, maybe even another team in my conference, you know, I don't care because we're winning, you know, right. We're, 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 we're doing this together. We're bought in. And, you know, this is by far the most talented team Chris Beard has ever had. Like if you look back to like the Texas Tech team that went to the national championship game, that team had way less talent. That team had Jared Culver who was a pro, but like beyond that, you had a bunch of fringe guys, like, you know, transfers and Juco guys. Like they were, it was easy to get them to buy in. And I'm thinking, the biggest question with Chris Beard is, can he get this group of guys, these guys who have done everything in college except win, to buy in and go all in on winning? And if he does that, this team has a special, special ceiling.
0: I think, um, you know, definitely shout out to, to, to you guys, man, for for breaking that down, man. Um but we're going to switch gears a little bit. You know, we're going to talk about the mid-majors, you know, over here at All Facts Media, our specialty. Um, we put together a little mid-major top 25, you know, that uh, I want to kind of get your guys' thoughts on. You know, we haven't released it uh, to the public. You know, we're going to be collaborating with a couple other guys. It's going to be released on or sixth 68 a little bit. But this is going to be the All Facts pretty much, you know, week one mid-major rankings. Uh, I'm going to read them out to, to you guys now so you guys can have a reference for, uh, you know, the question I'm about to ask you guys. Before you guys kill me, there's no guns. Hey. No BYU, you know, for the guys that are going to probably be looking for, for those teams. They're going to be no A10s, um, and there's no W, I mean, excuse me, Mountain West, sorry. So, we're trying to stick to like the one big leagues and uh, the teams that are, you know, uh, kind of aren't around that top 25 range. Um, so, with that being said, our rankings are number one, Little Chicago, number two, Belmont, three, Drake, four, St. Mary's, five, UAB, six, Western Kentucky, seven, Liberty, eight, Buffalo, nine, Iona. 10, Louisiana Tech, 11, Missouri State, 12, San Francisco, 13, New Mexico State, 14, Louisiana, 15, Ohio, 16, UC Irvine, 17, Northern Iowa, 18, Loyola Marymount, 19, Murray State, 20, Yale, 21, Furman, 22, Moorhead State, 23, Colgate, 24, Winthrop, and 25, UC Santa Barbara. So those are the week one. Uh, all facts, top 25 for, for mid-majors. And uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts, you know, who's too low, who's too high, maybe the team that you think should be in there. You know, for me, you know, I looked at a bunch of different uh, polls when putting this together. I saw a couple, you know, ones that had Lola and, and Drake pretty much one and two um, coming out of the Missouri Valley. I think a lot of people, you know, have a lot of respect for that league. Um, but you know I, I, I decided to kind of put Belmont uh, in there at two just based on this, this the seasoning that they were able to have last year and the guys that they were able to bring back this year. You know I got a couple of conference USA teams in there at five and six UAB and western Kentucky. You know, I was really high on them based on the guys that, that, that they brought in. but you know I want to kind of get your guys' thoughts on the list. you know we'll, we'll start with Greg and then uh, we'll, we'll go to Kevin Kevin next.
3: Yeah. So the first team that jumped out at me, and you know, I I haven't put near the research into these mid-major teams as you guys have. So I'm highly underqualified to answer this question first, but I'll take my best stab at it. The first team that jumped out at me by far was Liberty. Um, I had a very love-hate relationship with Liberty last year where I was like their biggest advocate preseason. I'm like, this team is going to make noise. They have just a bunch of talent, and they have some experience, and they have good guards, they have solid forwards. Like, there's a lot you can do with this team, and ultimately, they had a good season to me. But, like, they kind of passed up some opportunities, especially in the non conference, to like assert themselves on the national scene. Now, they lose a couple big guys Chris Parker, Elijah Cuffey, I believe, are both gone. Darius McGee is back, though. And, I mean, I just love him. I thought he was by far their best player last season. I'm curious to see how he sort of emerges now with some of his sidekicks not taking as as big of a role because I really do think, like, we could see a special season statistically from him. So to have them seventh in the rankings right now, like, compared to the other teams above them, I do feel like they might have a bit of a higher ceiling potentially to maybe work their way into one of the spicier mid-major teams on a national scene. But other than that, I really have no gripes with this list. I am proud of you guys. I just gave Sweeney credit for giving praise to Loyola. Now here you are ranking them number one as well. So I just have to give kudos.
0: Uh, for sure, for sure, man. Definitely got to throw the Ramblers, you know, up there, man. They've earned it. You know, my thoughts on Liberty were pretty much, you know, they're a team that has had success in March, you know, over the last couple of years. So, you know, I think that, you know, I had to have them kind of towards the top, you know. But I think, you know, for me, a team like, you know, that the two teams that are, I guess ahead of them, obviously, are you know, three. I guess St. Mary's, UAB, Western Kentucky. Um, specifically with, with UAB and Western Kentucky. You know, Western Kentucky's bringing in a top 50 recruit. You know, Davion Harmon, they're going to bring in, you know, Jairus Hamilton from Maryland. Um, I mean, UAB is bringing in a ton of talent as well. So, I mean, that's really why I had them, um, you know, ahead of Liberty. But I think that, like I said, by the end of the year, Liberty is going to be a team that could, you know, win a game in the NCAA tournament potentially advance. So, you know, they're always kind of a threat. But, you know, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the on the list, man? I know you're a – you know, we had a guy on Twitter questioning your your mid-major knowledge yesterday, man. So, <laughs> I don't know. Man. Are, you, are you qualified to answer this question?
2: Yeah. Uh, if you know me, you know that I never watch mid-major basketball. It's definitely not something I enjoy doing. So, I don't know why you even have me on the podcast. But, no, I mean, I think Greg Greg's point on Liberty is, is a strong one. I think Rich McKay is one of the best coaches that doesn't get talked about daily in college basketball uh, in terms of – just getting complete buy-in recruiting guys that really fit who they are um you know they lost like four starters from 2019-20 to last year and still you know were as good as they were i think this is a lot about richie and you know they bring a lot back this year i think get to feel really good about where they'll be I mean, when you start to differentiate like the same areas you would be western kentucky crowd versus a liberty or even an iona you know you're you're starting to look at conference strength and this is something where the 1 through 58 i think helps me it's like i can see that like. You know, even if you come in third or fourth in the Conference USA, traditionally that team is right on par with the first place team in the a Sun. So, like, yeah, Liberty could be very, really good. But if your goal is to kind of project out what Ken Palm will be, like, they're still probably going to be around the same tier nationally as like the third or fourth place team in the in the Conference USA. It's kind of inevitable. Inevitable. The teams I want to highlight are the two from, um, the the two from the WCC, uh, San Francisco, and then Loyola Marymount, who I think are going to be so interesting to watch, uh, you know, because I think when you look at Loyola Marymount, like their ability to, um, like their ability, you know, in year one to show huge, you know, makes huge strides on offense. Uh, Stan Johnson, a fantastic job. and deserves a ton of credit and they bring Eli Scott back as a COVID year senior. Ah, uh, they bring in some transfers, Gary Harris from Siena, huge athlete. I don't know how much he'll play, but I think we'll bring bring him some energy. The big transfer for them is Cameron Shelton from Northern Arizona. I think he'll be great. And then San Francisco, who beat Virginia last year, has a fantastic senior point guard and Jamari Bouye. Um Their biggest flaw last year, they did not have the size, and that wore them down in the WCC. They bring in Patrick Tappé from uh, Syracuse or from Duke, excuse me, he was originally committed to Syracuse, spent time at Columbia. This is a guy like Duke was always a bridge too far for this kid, but I, at the WCC level, I think it's gonna be really good. And I think going to really solidify who they are up front. Uh, so I love, I, I love those two teams. And I think, you know, those two are, are two teams that I think could work their way into the at large picture. Uh, as the season goes on, I'm not buying it yet. You know, like Ken Palm is San Francisco top 35 preseason. I think that's crazy, but I don't think it's, I, I, I think there's a ceiling there for both of them to get into the at large makes that sense.
0: Now, Sweeney, yeah, a lot of people were super high on San Francisco. My bad, Ace. Go ahead. I was saying a lot of people were super high on San Francisco, so I was interested in, uh, at that. But, you know, I guess we're going to see how, how it plays out. But my bad, Ace, I didn't mean to cut you off. Now, one thing I wanted to ask Sweeney was um, obviously one team we have on our list is Furman at 21. I noticed you had uh, Chattanooga as their favorites uh, in the SoCal. Now, me personally, I'm a big Furman guy. I, I know um, I love Bob Richie as the head coach. Obviously, they're going to be returning three guys. Um, Mike Botwell, Alex Hunter, and Jalen Slosson, who all played huge roles on last year's team. I think it, it, they it stepped up a little bit in the Kyler tournament, because I, I feel like you know they were, you know, the best team in the, in the SoCon last year. But what are your thoughts on, on, on kind of the SoCon with the um with with, with the firm
2: UTC kind of shake out there? So balanced, I think, through across the board. I think the three leagues that I had the most trouble ranking were the MAC, which we've talked about at length the offline, uh, the CAA, which like one through seven is crazy tight, and then the SoCon. I mean, the SoCon, the gap between one and six is like nothing to me. I mean, it, it would none of the, none of those teams winning the league would really even surprise me. I just think, I mean, Chattanooga with you know Gene Baptiste and Malachi Smith in the backcourt is one of the better duos in mid-major basketball. Uh, and then up front, you know the the addition that they made with, with Silvio D'Souza is such an interesting kind of roll of the dice, right? I mean, we've seen some truly elite recruits. I know actually, uh, I, I think Drew mentioned uh, Cameron Chapman the other day in the uh, in Portugal. Like crazy. Cameron Chapman was awful at Michigan. I mean, he was terrible, but as he goes down to Detroit Mercy and he puts up like 17 and eight. And I think, you know, a guy like D'Souza going to somewhat of an unknown program like Chattanooga, he'll have an opportunity to be an outstanding player as a, as a real difference maker on the interior. And when you add that to what they have at guard, to me that they, they were the number one pick, but again, you're talking very slim margins between them and Furman, who you mentioned with Richie is fantastically well coached. Um, you know, I think Wofford will be in the mix. I think, uh, you know, Mercer was at, in the conference championship game. ETSU with a new coach and Des Oliver. They're going to be in g- good position. You know, this league is very, very balanced.
0: Yeah. now i definitely um want to get you know you you two guys opinion man because you guys are both at uh a big 10 media day and you know i know uh greg was saving some some comments he had a little earlier about some some big 10 nuggets so you know greg uh, i'll give you the floor here man you know uh let us let, let us know you know get thoughts on on the big 10 this year you know what what are you kind of looking at, at at that conference and uh you know if you got something to get off your chest man here's your, here's your
1: chance
3: yeah. First of all, I just want to say to all the people listening out there, it's surprisingly easy to get into a media day. Like if they allowed me in and just ambushed that event and like followed Kevin Sweeney around bar hopping for two days, like anybody can do that. So highly recommend that. Number one, number two, uh, one of the the teams I had marked being a little low on Sweeney's list is the fighting Illini of Illinois, who are actually my Big Ten champ prediction for the regular season, which pains me to say because I was at war with Illinois fans for the entirety of last season. You know, I had to rep my Michigan-Michigan State connections, and they had beef with both of those programs last year. So, like, that entire fan base is just ready to fight anyone. But I can't get over the fact that Andre Corbello and Kofi Coburn just screams, like, most dynamic duo in the entire sport to me this year. And – I you know we talk about guard play kind of being down around the country he's going to have to limit his turnovers but like it's such a good fit to build your offense around those two and then plug in guys like Trent Frazier and Demonte Williams on the wing who don't necessarily need the ball in their hands. But I do think Trent Frazier can do a little more than people expect based on what he did back in, uh, in the AAU days. So I'm really high on them. I think they're like a, a solid lock top 10 team, especially come March. Um, I was a little surprised to see them down at 16 for Sweeney. That's too low. But I, I don't think they're far behind the Michigans, the Purdue's of the world in
2: the big Ten. Yeah, I mean, that was for, first off. We we had a lovely time in Indianapolis. I look forward <laughs> to being back. Uh, shout out to Bird Scooters It's my my transportation method choice out in Indianapolis. I'm not sponsored, but I need to be. Uh, you know, G and all those dudes were great. And I, I will say, if you did not check out some of the sleepers' content while you were there, it was fantastic. Like they were just doing something different than anyone else was at Media Day. You've got all these like like old white dudes like walking around with their like messenger bags, like trying to ask like Tom Izzo questions and you've got, you know, G walking around like asking Connor McCaffrey, you know, CLB or Donda. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, so check that out. But I think, you know, for media day, Illinois, first off, like, I think that's a fair take in, in every way. I think for me, there are team that's going to take more time to figure it out. I think Kerbel is going to have turnover issues early. Uh, to me, the question is how, how, how quickly does he resolve that? Um, I also just think, like the, the rest of the big 10 will beat up on them enough, just like they'll beat up on everyone. That's gonna be hard to be, you know, another top 10 team, unless they really wreck it in the non-con, which we'll, we'll see if they do I'm excited. to See, I'm going to go up to Milwaukee and see them against Marquette the first week of the year. Um, other big 10 media day nuggets. Let me see if I have anything off the top of my head that was awfully fun. Uh, Mike Woodson kind of came across as really, really old. That was, that was interesting. Like he's like 61, 62. There was not a lot of energy coming from, from Mr. Woodson. I will say that I watched his like full side presser after, cause I wanted to see if it was any better and it was, but not enough better uh, for me to feel super confident. Like, They're recruiting at a high level right now, and I gotta say I gotta give a lot of credit to their staff because those those guys must be really working some magic. Because, yes,
3: sorry to interrupt, but so much of the talk with Woodson was like, oh, he just stepped in the room, and Trace Jackson Davis was just captivated (laughs) by his presence and had to come back to school. I had like all these big expectations of the man, and he literally just walked in the room, and it was like sucked all the air out of it. It was crazy.
2: I kind of I kind of thought. Like, I kind of thought he'd be, like, a Dumbledore type, like, if you're a Harry Potter fan, where he's, like, this big, like, doesn't speak a lot guy, but, like, when he talks, like, the whole room just shuts down. And instead, he kind of gave off, like old principal who hasn't decided when he's retiring and really needs two vibes, which was not great. But again, I, I think they're going to be really fun this year. I, I think I'm one of the higher people on Indiana nationally. I'm 19th. I think they're going to be really, really good because trace is great. I think Miller cop will help them shooting the ball. I think, uh, you know, they'll get enough from their point guards. I think Woodson will help them with their offense. I mean, that's, that was the big issue is Archie didn't do a good job of putting out positions to succeed on offense. I think you know they will do a much better job of that under Mike Woodson.
0: So so Kevin man, I'm actually I'm actually happy man that um you know that you that you showed Indiana some love man because you know Mike Woodson's a you know a local guy I and mean, he's actually good good friends with um with one of uh you know my close family friends man so I was um I was surprised though you know obviously because you know Indiana you know obviously struggled under Archie um you know they haven't really had the, the tournament success you know that the the university and that the fans are desperately needing so. What about them is, is, you know, sticking out to you to, to put them right away, you know, in your top 25, you
2: know, given the fact that, you know, that
0: program hasn't really been relevant, you know, in, in, in a long time?
2: I think the first thing is they really weren't that far off the last couple of years. I mean, they were probably sneaking in the NCAA tournament in 2020 before COVID. Then last year they were on track to be a tournament team for, you know, the first two months of the year and kind of faded in February You know the the talent necessarily hasn't hasn't necessarily been the problem. I think the biggest problem for them has been that they haven't had plus guard play, and they haven't. uh, And I don't think Archie did a very good job of getting the most out of their two most talented guards, who are Armand Franklin and Al Durham. I think Woodson's offense will do a better job of you know putting guys in positions to win. I also think, like at the end of the day, when you have Trace Jackson Davis, who you know for my money is a clear top ten and potentially top five player in the sport you're in a pretty good place to start. And, you know, from there, it's just how does the rest of it fill out? And I think, you know, what they did with Xavier Johnson and, and Miller Kopp helps them a lot. What Tamar Bates, I think, will bring to the table, you know, as a, as a scoring guard will be huge. You know, it's, to me, he doesn't have to average, you know, 12, 13 points a game to make a huge impact for this team. If he can give them, you know, eight points a game in 20 minutes as, a, as an energy scorer off the bench, a spark that they didn't have last year, that will be one of the most impactful recruits of the 2021 class. So I'm in on the Hoosiers. I hope I'm not proven wrong. Uh, but you know, there, there's certainly some question marks, first year coach, who's never dealt with college kids, you know, guys who for the most part, not one in college, you know, even the guys they brought in, you know, XJ a Pitt. I mean, that that was a disaster in, in many ways with, 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 you know, chemistry issues and Miller cop did not win at Northwestern. Great kid did not win at Northwestern. Uh, Parker Stewart did not do a lot of winning at uh, UT Martin and Pitt. So, I mean, when those are the three newcomers that are the core of what you're trying to do, that's a question mark. But I think the talent level I'm, I'm in on and I, I'm in early on the Woodson era. Not sure if I'm in on it for the long term, but for now, I'm in.
3: So, I have a quick Indiana counterpoint. So, I, Michigan fans and Michigan State fans know this. I've been very openly criticizing of Eli Brooks over the years at Michigan. Like, to me, I I think I've said this on camera before, you can't win a national title with Eli Brooks playing 30 minutes for your team. Now, maybe that comes back to bite me, but I just think you need a little more playmaking from a guard. However, when I think of this Indiana team and I listen to Sweeney just rattle through all of the newcomers they brought in – how much better would we all feel about Indiana if they just had a guy like Eli Brooks in the backcourt who could play 30 minutes a game that's been in the system for four years that you know is just solid? Like, that's the number one thing missing from this team to me is like, on paper, we love Xavier Johnson, or we think we like Xavier Johnson at least. Like, Rob Finnessy's there, I guess. Is Christian Lander good at all? Like, there's a collection of guys, but we have no idea if they can even get to 40 minutes of quality play in the backcourt, let alone 80. So, there's my first ever on record positive praise for a guy like Eli Brooks. I wish
2: Indiana had someone like him. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, look, if honestly, if they had Al Durham back, I would feel so much better about this Mm -hmm. team. I don't love Al Durham. I always thought he was a little underutilized. But, you know, the, the, positive, the buzz is all positive out of Providence about what he's bringing. Just his ability to handle the ball, hit shots, and get to the free throw line would be so valued, right? Eli Brooks' best trait is that he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, right? He makes shots, he defends at a decent clip, and, you know, he distributes the ball. Right? Like that, that Eli Brooks is steady. I think Al Durham is a similar type of steady that they could have really used on this team, because right now they're they definitely are a little, little little bit reliant on you know Stewart and Bates off the ball, and then uh, XJ on the ball, and, and I think all of those guys have their questions to answer.
0: Now, <laughs> now, now I'm, I'm very glad that we mentioned you know steady backcourt play. You know what I'm saying, and, and uh, from, from 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 Big Ten guards because the team that Sweeney has directly behind. Indiana, in the Big Ten are our Maryland Terrapins. And you know he can not let you guys get off the show without talking about Maryland. <laughs> now, one guy that I throw the show at Big Ten Media Day is Eric Ayala. You know, my, my, my man was, was out there, dripped down, you know what I'm saying? Had, a, had a, He, he uh, had a real nice feeling out there, man. And I think for me personally, I think the biggest question mark with this Maryland team is going to be, can how far can Eric, Eric Ayala take them? I think if he can become that, like, all Big Ten, like, first, second team type of guy. Like, not saying he has to be at counter, Melo Trimble, but they, they need him to be a guy that can go out there and get 16, 17, 18 points a game, especially with Aaron Wiggins gone. I think if he can get to that level with Fat Ru- Fats Russell coming coming in, with obviously Wahab coming in, and then obviously also um, return Dante Scott and Akeem Hart, I think this team, you know, should be a top five team in the Big Ten and should be a, a, a top 25 team the entire year. I mean, I know, Sweeney, I know, you, I know you're you pretty high on Ayala. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that um, and, and on Maryland, With um, you know, as a team in the Big Ten and also, you know, actually, you know, nationally?
2: Yeah, I mean, I really like Ayala. I think there's some comparisons to be made between the Ayala and Fats backcourt to the Jeff Doughton and Fats backcourt that really allowed Fats to thrive the most, um, where he wasn't asked to do everything with the ball. And he could just focus on – you know, creating plays, you know, being really good on defense um, and, and hitting tough shots, right? Those are the three things I think Vets does really well. And Doughton let him do all of those things and not have to worry about being the guy every possession. I think Ayala can help him do that. So I, I, I'm bullish on that backcourt duo. I think the starting five as a whole is really fun. I think the biggest question I have with, with Maryland beyond, like, you know, people have asked about the bench and they've asked about all these things. To me, the biggest question, I'm curious Greg's opinion, because I know he's a big Big Ten guy as well, is to me, I think what made Maryland have teeth last year was the fact that they were doing something different than anyone else in the Big Ten. And that was really for 20 minutes a game playing Dante Scott at the five and pulling a hundred Dickinson away from the basket, pulling a Kofi Coburn, if nothing else, forcing you to figure out a different matchup, right? Like, you know, Northwestern did similar things with Pete Nance, the five. And eventually what teams did was they just started guarding, uh, Robbie Barron, who's a kind of non, non, non highly skilled four man in terms of his ball skills, uh, with the five and guarding the four, using the four to guard Nance, right? Like it forced that adjustment. I think Scott put teams in a lot of, challenging spots last year because he's six, seven and strong. So he hung in down low, but he was also, you know, really, really good stretching it. And I think, you know, him being more of a traditional four this year with Wahab in there, I'm curious if there's some kind of regression because Maryland no longer has that matchup, even though I'm a big Wahab fan and I'm a big scout fan. I think, you know, the roster itself is good, but I'm curious about the way that it all fits together because I really liked what Turge did last year, kind of out of necessity because of how thin they were up front. Yeah, I think that's a great
3: point, Sweeney. I do. I think you're right. The, the best thing about Maryland last year was that they were different. And then in tandem with that different approach in the front court, they had Wiggins, Morsell, Ayala, three guys that had been around the big 10 that, kind of like we just mentioned with Indiana, the Eli Brooks comparison, they were solid at, you know, at worst, they were solid. And Ayala was actually really, really good. So my biggest question with this Maryland team is how big of a jump does Eric Ayala still have left in him? You know, I'm surprised when you look at that conference that he's not getting more love as a preseason all-conference guy. And I say that as someone who's pretty down on Maryland in general. And the reason I'm most down on Maryland is because I just don't trust Fats Russell. And I would almost feel better about this team if Ayala was given more of the reins to go be a dynamic guy in that backcourt. You know, I think there's a best case scenario with Maryland that's higher than almost any team in this conference except for maybe Purdue and Michigan um, you know if Fats Russell's great and I is good and they stay healthy their top end talent is really high but I just don't trust one Turgeon to be the guy to unlock all of that and two the fit between the guys in general so that's why I am more down on Maryland I think you know they're an NCAA tournament team I think I put in my predictions video today they will be a bubble team sorry to the Robinson twins on that one but I think they'll Ultimately, make the tournament before Turgeon pulls a turgeon and they lose before the Sweet 16. <laughs>
0: I think it's interesting, man. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that, you know, just you know, following Maryland over the years, man, like when Mark Turgeon teams, you know, traditionally, you know, outside of the last two years, really, you know, if you look back, they've always had like a traditional four and a five. Like, you know, Rob Carter and Diamond Stone, you know, a couple of years back when they were when they had their Rasheed Suleiman group uh, a few years ago, man. Um we had Jalen Smith and Bruno Fernando at the four and five. And you know, I was listening to you know, shot the field sixty eight, you know, Jeff, Jeff Goodman had Mark Turgeon on um like a couple days ago and Mark Turgeon was talking about how he kind of is looking forward to this year having Dante Scott return to more of a perimeter-oriented um, role. So I'm wondering if he's going to play him at the three. Does that mean he's going to move him to the four? I mean, if he's going to be playing more on the perimeter at the three, given like how Mark Turgeon, you know, normally wants to play, I wonder who they go to at the four. Um, you know, but I do think that it will be interesting to see kind of how they use Dante Scott – also, you have Hakeem Hart, who was playing the one, you know, last year, you know, when um, you know, when I, I went out of the game. So, I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they're going to put him back on the wing. Obviously, you have Fats and, and Eric now this year. So, you know, where's he in and all this? But, you know, I think they're an interesting team, man. I have, to, I have to ask Greg, though, you know, while we're talking about the Big Ten. You said that you had Illinois uh, as your favorite. So, you know, obviously, I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. sleeping on Michigan here, man. I mean, they went to the Elite Eight last year. You know, they're returning Hunter Dickinson, who is going to be, you know, obviously a – most people say you're going to be, you know, first team All-American, you know, this year. Um, they had the number one recruiting class in the country coming in. So how is Michigan not the, the favorite in the, in the Big Ten for you?
3: Yeah, I love I love the question because you don't need to gas me up to talk praise for Jawan Howard and the Wolverines, but I'll gladly take the bait <laughs> on it. Uh, look, I I think Michigan's going to be undefeated at the end of the non conference slate. They have a pretty easy schedule there. They're the only game they won't be heavy favorites in is uh, at North Carolina. And I don't love this North Carolina team either. So I really think they have a good shot at running the table there. However, they have a really tough schedule. They have double plays against six of the Big Ten teams that were NCAA tournament teams last year. They have double plays against every team in the projected top four in the conference that's not them. Uh, That's unique to them and not to Illinois and Purdue. I also think... You know, I I like their ceiling more in the non-conference this year and into March than I do as a regular season conference champion type team. Uh, I think Illinois is going to carry some of that quote unquote chip on their shoulder swagger that you know they're upset they didn't win last year. Kofi Coburn's back. All of that I think is actually going to factor into this season. Uh, whereas Michigan, I think will maybe be the highest ceiling team from the conference outside of conference play. I just think they're going to be put through the ringer in it. So all that to say, like they're going to finish top three to me. It's not like they're going to have a disappointing season. I just think there's a a chance that either Illinois or Purdue jumps them. And my money would be on Illinois. I have one question for you guys going back to Maryland real quick though. So part of why I'm down on them and why I like a team like Illinois or even like a team like Michigan a little more is that you can go through their starters and point to, like, okay, for the best-case scenario for this season, Hunter Dickinson's going to be our best player. Devontae Jones is going to be our second-best player. Caleb Houston's – like, there's a formula that's very clear, whereas I look at Maryland's roster, and we have a bunch of guys we like the game of, but, like, who is their best player? So, I guess I'll pose that to the group. Like, for the best-case version of Maryland, how do you rank the performance of guys like Wahab, Dante Scott, Russell, Ayala?
0: For me personally, I mean, question. when I started off, I think, I think for Baylor to be the best, Eric Ayala has to be their best player. Ayala has to be that, like, lead guard. Like, like he doesn't have to be Melo Trimble. He's not Melo Trimble. He's not Ant Callum, But he has to be that type of guard for them, in my opinion, for them to, for them to reach their ceiling, right? And, and for me, obviously, for Turgeon to get over the hump, like, it would be like a second weekend thing, like 316. Do I think they're going to make 316? I don't know. Probably not. But, like, best-case scenario, like, if they're going to make 316 – for them, like, if it was like, all right, this has to happen, Ayala has to be that guy for them. I think Wahab has to be one of the best. Like, he has to be able to not take out Hunter things. up. He has to be able to kind of, like, play him to an even, like, 16-9 and eight, 16 and nine type of game. You go up against Hunter. When you go see Kofi, when you go see Travion, when he's at Purdue, like, he has to be – going toe-to-toe with those type of guys. They all have to be like an all-Big Ten type of guard for them to reach their ceiling. And then I think if you get Fast Russell to shoot 42, 40 percent from the floor and not in the 30s, then you got a success, a recipe for success there. Because honestly, I think, I think, I mean, I played with Dante this summer. He looked Really good, like shooting the ball from everywhere, putting the ball on the floor. Like I think he's gonna have a great, great year. I was talking to him, he kind of he kind of wants this year to be his last year in college basketball. Obviously, with that tragedy that happened with, with with the flooding and stuff, he um his family obviously uh the house got messed up. Well, now he he's trying to get up out of there after this year. And he looks he looked really good from 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 when I watched him play, from when I spoke to him. So I think he has to be a guy that's kind of that third wheel behind. Not third wheel, but like he has to be a guy that's, that's creeping into that into that All-Converse type of caliber type of dude for Maryland to be their, their best case self. So that's how that's how I think is the recipe for Maryland to be amongst that top three, four team in the Big Ten and potentially get to a second weekend. All that is is you know it's it, it's wishful thinking at this point in time, but I don't think it's too far off that that it could happen.
2: Well, I'll, I'll I'll close the book from my perspective on Maryland. I'll say this: like to me, one of the easy sells of of Maryland is that the starting five is as good as pretty much I think any starting five outside of the truly like top tier top five or six teams in the country. You know, it I, I don't think CBS's top one hundred list is like the perfect list, but CBS's top one hundred list has four Maryland players, like their four starters: Wahab, uh, Fats, Ayala, and Scott, as top one hundred players in the country, and then. Hakeem Hart is not a slouch, right? Like that starting five. There's only two other teams in the country that had four top 100 guys. Um, One was Texas, and I'm trying to remember the second. I think it was Kansas was the other the other team that had. You know, so so again, they don't have a national player of the year. They might not even have. You know, there's no guarantees they'll even have one first team All Big Ten guy. But you know, they have four really outstanding players. A fifth in Hart, who's very good, uh, and that five seems to fit pretty well cohesively into, into rotation spots, right? You know, like fats and I, I discussed earlier, Wahab and Scott fit together four and five. Well, I think the concern of like the zig-, zig versus everyone else zagging thing is real, but like stylistically, I think the four and the five fit. Perfect. Hart can play the three. If not, you bring in Xavier green. He's like a big body wing play the three. Um, you've got Martinez coming in from Utah. He could give you some scoring pop. You've got the freshman, right? Like, from a just a roster standpoint, you know, this this group has clear top 20, top 15, I think, ceiling. It's just a matter of, to me, finding ways for them to differentiate themselves in the game flow. And that's what they did. That's what they were able to do last year. Cause I don't know that they're going to necessarily overwhelm people talent wise, even though they have good talent.
0: Yeah. I think for me, the you know, last thing I'll say before, you know, we switch gears a little bit about Marilyn is I think, you know, for me, I think for Maryland man, they're gonna to have to return to kind of you know like I said, like like I made my last you know point kind of Hurst is a coach that has been really big on throwing the ball inside you know his entire career really at Maryland you, know, you had they've had you know Alex Land, who's obviously you know had a lot of success, Bruno Fernando Jalen Smith, Diamond stone, I think they didn't have that last year they didn't have a guy that they, that they could just throw the ball to on the block you know and and score or give them any type of interior presence and I think Cruz Wahab. Is, is that you know he was kind of the only thing that was working for Georgetown last year in the NCAA tournament game against Colorado. Um and I think he was really prompt to take that next step, you know, if he would decide to to, to stay at Georgetown. I think that I see the Big Ten, you know, is a is a you know a big man's league. So I think that he'll be able to come in and you know kind of take that next step at Maryland as well. So for me, I think he has to be able to you know give Maryland that interior depth, you know, that interior scoring that that they need in order to, you know, take them, you know, to the next level. So, you know, we'll definitely be able to, you know, we'll have to see what happens with that, man. But I got to ask you guys, man, we got to finish it off. I don't want to take too much of your guys' time, man, but – some Cinderella's, you know, we need some Cinderella's, you know, uh, some Cinderella picks this year for the NCAA tournament, man. Um, obviously, we've talked a lot about, you know, the lowest Kyros in the world. This year, we had Oral Roberts, the best We 16. But, you know, um, Kevin and Greg, man, who, who are some, some some mid-major teams, man, that you guys think could, you know, we could be talking about here, you
2: know, in a, in a few months, you know, in March, pulling off some upsets. We'll start with Kevin. Okay. And it's, it's hard. I mean, I think there's some obvious ones like the Colorado States of the world to me come out, really jump off the page. Like if you're looking for coaching experience, talent, they have that Loyal well, Chicago Drake. I mean, Loyal and Drake are so old. I think that that will help them so, so greatly in March. Um, one more team of the Valley, I think that has not gotten as much attention as Northern Iowa. You know, this is a group that, you know, was at large caliber two years ago with, AJ Green and Austin Fife as the one two punch. Well, AJ Green gets hurt last year, everyone forgets about Northern Iowa. Well, AJ's back and he's healthy and that duo is gonna be tough. And, and, and I think quite frankly, you know, a guy like Bowen Bourne, who got experience last year, will be helped quite quite a bit by having played as much as he did last year in Green's absence and you know, take a step and, and, and put them in a really good position. So I think they have at large, you know, at large potential and certainly win multiple games against the tournament. from the true kind of one bid leagues, I think you know, I think New Mexico State has a good opportunity. I think the three teams at the top of the whack, new Mexico State, Grand Canyon, and Stephen F. Austin—all matchup-wise could get in an NCAA tournament game and win one. Um, you know, Iona, as much as I kind of hate to say it, as a as a as a Sienna Man through and through, like they have the talent and the coach to to win an NCAA tournament game. Um, you know, especially if they can get Ty Jolly going. I think that's the biggest question with them. Is you know, I think Ty is been up and down. He was quiet in their exhibition. He was very quiet in their trip to Greece. Like which tie jolly are they getting? If they get the 14, 15 point of game AAC tie jolly, watch out. That team is going to be really special. So those are some of the ones that come to mind. It's not an exhaustive list, but I think this, I think it's a good year for the mid-major. I think the experience back in college basketball helps a lot of these mid-majors take another step forward because you got a lot of COVID year seniors, 23, 24 year olds. And I, I always say this, but college basketball is not as complicated as people think when you have a bunch of very experienced guys who are 23 and 24 years old, you're generally gonna be pretty good at this sport. Like it's, it's not that complex at the end of the day.
3: Yeah. I, uh, I'm a little bit disgusted because Sweeney stole my deep cut, but I also feel very, uh, I, I feel very validated, validated. Northern Iowa was my deep cut. Yes. I think, I think they're slept on and they were 25 and six, two years ago with AJ green they bring back pretty much all the key guys from that team two years later. They bring back every key contributor from last year's team who obviously struggled without A.J. Green. But, like, if A.J. Green is just back to his old self – that team could very easily win that conference in a a very hotly contested conference race between Loyola and Drake. But I have my eye all over them because I think people have forgotten all about them and they are 100% going to at least be in a battle to win that conference. And then who knows if they could sneak in as an at-large. I will take the very cliche, obvious mid-major team. I don't even know if you can call them a mid-major in the A-10, but like, St. Bonaventure to me is going to have a special season. They really are like on a national scale, not just like, Oh, they win the a 10 and they, you know, make one to two wins in the NCAA tournament. Like I think this team could legitimately lose one or two games and that's it during the regular season.
2: Like like their season opener to Siena potentially. (laughs) You know, I'm a betting man, sweetie.
3: I'm going to have to see the odds on that one, but no, I mean, I'll tell you that much to your point. Like, Experience matters, and this team has a ton of it. They have, like, seven seniors. Obviously, everybody knows Kyle Lofton. He's very much a do-it-all guy, but I just, you know, I, I think it's been a while, other than Gonzaga, obviously, where there's been a true mid-major team that can hang with the top tens of the world. And I think this year, St. Bonaventure is that team. It will not surprise me at all if they creep their way up into like the top 15 middle of the season uh, and maybe even enter March with like a four seed. And, you know, if you give a team like that a little bit of an easier draw, it's not that difficult to foresee them making a deep run come NCAA tournament time.
0: You know, I mean, I I, I love Saint Bonaventure. I mean, I, I was super high on them last year when not many people were. And I mean, I think obviously you mentioned like a, a one or two one or two lost regular seasons is going to be tough. But they they kind of remind me that that Dayton team from that COVID year where you have they don't have an Ov Topping, but I think Kyle Lofton and Osteen are two of the two of the best. Three, four, five players in the A-10. An opportunity. I think Laughlin is one of the best point guards in the country, hands down. Um, and, and obviously, Mark Smith is one of the best coaches in the country. And they're, they're old. You know, like, like Sweden said, you got a bunch of old guys in college basketball, that always bold. well. They're going to have chances in non-conference. They're going to play UConn. They're going to play Virginia Tech. They're going to play Northern Iowa, which is going to be a huge game uh, for these kind of mid-majors to, you know, to, 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 to see. They're going to play Boise State. Um, so, I don't know. We'll, 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 see. we'll see what happens with them, but I'm definitely with you on that same biometric pick. Don't know the, the Cinderella team that they're a preseason top 25 team, but, <laughs> but well, 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 we'll let you have it on that one, though, Greg. We'll let you have it. We'll let you have it. Hey, I told you
3: it was cliche, man, but when Sweetie steals my deep cuts and I only prepare one deep cut, I'm taking the easy way out.
2: I will I will say this, folks. If you if you like gambling and uh, Northern Iowa, which is preseason 10-pom 110, some of those early season spreads, if they look anything like the Ken Palm spread, hammer Northern Iowa for the first month of the year until Ken Palm figures it out, because you might make some good money on that.
0: Hey, there we go. <laughs> hey, I hope people listen oh. to this pile all the way through for some betting advice. <laughs>
2: I hope so, because I will. I, be- should, man. I shouldn't be the one giving gambling advice, Mr., uh, Mr. Parlay Sleeper here over here. We need to see that. Hey, we, we keep it quiet over here, Sweeney. Knock on wood for me, all right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> man, Sweeney, Sweeney and, and Greg, man, going to make me tear up my, my mid-major rankings here having Northern Iowa at 17. Looks like I need to bump them up into my top 10, man. Sheesh, but I, I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it, man. This has been an amazing, amazing episode, man. We gave you guys a lot of content from the high majors to the mid-majors to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, um. Definitely, man, shout out to you guys, man. This is definitely a tremendous episode, man. If you guys have not tapped into Sleeper's Media, make sure you guys give them a follow on every platform, man. They're doing some amazing work. And, of course, our guy Kevin Sweeney at Sports Illustrated is is killing the game, man. He's a star in this business, man. Make sure you guys are following him on Twitter, all platforms, man. Make sure you tap tap into his his rankings that just dropped if you haven't yet. You know, even though, like I said – Quinnipiac and Common State are too low on that. But, you know, I guess we'll give them a pass. But this has been a blast, man, and we're going to have to, you know, check in to see how these picks are doing, you know, a little later in the season. And before we get off, I know Drew shout out Sleepers Media. Make sure you guys are following my guy, Greg Waddell. The one guy you do not want to follow is Carter (laughs) 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 Elliott. I couldn't get off with this podcast, but I'll take you a shot at Carter. (laughs)
3: hey no comment okay no comment I'm, I'm on record here off record sure we can slander on record no comment
0: wait who is Carter ellie you mean robbie hummel
3: yeah that's a good point maybe hey he was so uh distraught by the robbie hummel comparisons he started adding multiple underscores to his handle everywhere so it's a tough look for the guy
0: it really is no, nah, but like, 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 uh, like Drew said, man. Thanks again for coming, for coming on with uh, Tay to, for you guys, man. Uh, make sure you guys are following my guys on social media. Um, and again, make sure you guys are giving this podcast a like. Uh, Subscribing to our podcast whenever you listen to this, to this uh, podcast on Apple Music or on Spotify, Apple Podcast, excuse me, or Spotify. Give us a like, you know, retweet on social media, man. Tell a friend and tell a friend about the auto bid, man. And as always, going to let my guy pull up tape. take us out with some music. Until next time, folks. Thanks, guys. you on me. It's time to get a check,
1: boy. check, boy. You want You ain't made the headlines. No, time to reject, boy. you on me. Topic of discussion. What we talking about? Take your best shot. I'm going to take your last shot. I'm drawing in the clutch, boy. I don't, I don't bear. Let's go. What's the topic of discussion? Take, take, take.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.